Luke chapter 24. Amen. Say amen. And verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to the village called Eminus. Everybody say Eminus. Which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. I'm going to stop right there and give her the title. Tragedy or triumph? Tragedy or triumph? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one more time, alive to tell the story about God and his glorious work in this earth. Bless the service. Bless every family who is represented here. Bless the church to worship you and become the priest in the pulpit and in the pews. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about the Amnes Road journey. But my title is Tragedy or Triumph. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're in a Bible scholar, you will not know this. But Daniel prophesied about the coming Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphany, whose aim and goal was to destroy every, every trace of what we call Judaism or the worship and the temple of the Jews in the year 3rd century. A man called Alexander the Great, he died. His kingdom got split among four men, four generals. It shrunk down to two called the Fertility and the Seleucid. The Seleucid mean the Syrian Empire, Syria's southern east today, and the and the Ptolemy uh, mean the Egyptian Empire. Egypt is still alive today, and their goal is still the same, to eradicate Israel off the face of the earth. So when you hear it in the news, it's not new news. It's just a repeated news, but coming to a culmination. Stay with me. And so, in the 3rd century, Antiochus Epiphany and others, they try to what we call Hellenize, mean Christianize, the worship of the Jews. Like always, some people always give in and compromise and surrender, but there are those who were standing tall for the Abrahamic faith and say, we will not bow, we will not bend, we will not give in, we will not serve any other Grecian gods or Grecian philosophy. We're going to hold true to what we were taught. Well, there was a Holocaust, and millions of thousands of Jews were killed. It looked like God had forsaken them. And so the Syrians just about annihilate the nation of Israel wiped them out and wiped out their religion, destroy their temple worship, destroy everything that had to do the priesthood. But a family of five rose up, the Maccabean family, and said, we will not submit to any heathen kingdom or heathen doctrine. God always have a people that said, we will not surrender our faith to any false religion. And those brothers stood with their daddy.
Satan was a high priest and said, we're going to fight back. The odds were against Israel, and the odds were against the people of God, but because you're small, don't make you inferior. Because you're little, don't mean that you're not good enough. Because our God does not trust in chariots or horses or with men's might. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is almighty. And when he operates, things does happen. I want you to know the heavens rule. God ruled from the heaven in the affairs of humanity. And it looked like the tragedy the people of God is going to lose. And many times people in trials and tribulation give it up because it looked like God's not going to help them. But if you stay long enough, he that endured to the end, the same shall be saved. The race is not for the swift, nor the battle for the strong. But for them that endure to the end, the same shall be victorious. God is not impressed by might or by great numbers of people. God's not impressed by that. God takes, amen, concern about commitment to a cause. And so these men said, okay, we're going to fight. We can't fight a man to man, so what we're going to do is when the Syrians are not expecting us and they think we're whipped and defeated, we're going to invade them. And they burned down the Syrian camp, and they won the battle. It's called the Battle of Eminus. The Battle of Eminus. Many of you never heard that name before. I'm the first one to bring it to you right now. It's in the Bible, Eminus, the Battle of Eminus. Now, Jesus Christ... When he was born, he was never displaced in locale. He was birthed in the place the prophet says he was. At age 12, he showed up at the temple like the Bible says he would. His mother was a virgin like the Bible said he should have. Amen. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ at age 30 got baptized at the river Jordan, and John the Baptist baptized him. It was not a sad mistake because Jesus knew the Scripture. And every place he went, it was biblically forecasted. He did not waste one step. He was tempted of the devil for several days and several nights, like the Bible said. Hallelujah. He broke bread like the Bible said. The blind saw, the deaf heard, the crippled walked, like the Bible said. Everything he did, it was written before. He said, if you don't believe me, read the scripture. For they testify of me. Moses write about me. So everything Jesus did, every place he went, every person he touched, it was according to the Bible. Amen. Now, why would he go to Samaria? He went to Samaria because in 721 B.C., the Bible said that the, uh, the Assyrian, which is Syria today, drove out the northern tribe and brought in heathens there. The heathens don't know how to worship God. They asked their king to give them a, a priest. The priest came and gave them half truth. 
So you can't blame the Samaritans for being pagans because the priests never helped them. That's why Jesus Christ said, I must go through Samaria because he wanted to answer a question that they asked 700 years before he came, the manner of God and how he should be worshipped. So when Jesus said, I must go through Samaria, it was no sudden thing on him. It was a planned trip. He planned to do it because the Samaritan wanted to know the manner of God and how to worship God. And so Jesus went there and gave a little Bible study to a woman in the well who was very religious and said, look, God is a spirit. God is not an icon. God is a spirit. And then told her how to worship him. You've got to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not with a golden calf, but God is invisible, indivisible. God is true, and you must worship him in spirit and truth. So everywhere Jesus Christ went, it was in total agreement with Scripture. The first miracle he went in Canaan was a turn water into wine. He's the same God that turned uh, the rivers into blood. Amen. He turned water into wine and, and then river into blood to tell you who he is. Now, the Amos journey is where it all happened. They arrested Jesus, like the Bible said it should. They betrayed him and sold him, like the Bible said it should. They sold him and betrayed him. His, his best buddy did that, and they condemned him to death to be crucified, just like the Bible said it should. Now, nobody wanted to believe what he was telling when he was alive. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I said, no, no, that won't happen. But he died and, and went down in the grave, and they all saw it. Now, here are two sad, discouraged, disappointed believers. You ought to read the 24 chapter sometime because it's about you and me. They went to Jerusalem. It's the third day since Christ was crucified and buried. And they're going home disappointed. I'm going to tell you right now, many of us, many times, are disappointed with God. Be honest. You are disappointed with God because he never answered your prayer like you want him to. He never answered Mary and Martha's prayer like they want him to. She wanted him to heal. He wanted to raise the dead. There's a difference in opinion here. Amen. Different in mission. He said, I was glad I was not here. Hallelujah. So I can show you. I can raise the dead also. So they were disappointed. Read the story. And they're going home. And like you and I would talk about how great the camp was. Well, they're discussing leaving Jerusalem, eight miles coming from Jerusalem, going home to Eminus. Eminus is a city that is called by the historical writers, it's called the city of burning. The city also of longing. It's also called the city of victory. Now, Jesus knows where he's going. He knows the history behind it. I'll give you an example. He stood to Syria and said, Whom do men say that I am? Where was he at? He was at the headquarters of Baal. The headquarters of Baal, where Baal is a sun god. Now, here's the son of God, standing where the sun god is worshipped, and said, Whom do men say that I am? Peter spoke up. Nathaniel should have. Philip should have. But they didn't. So Peter spoke up, and Jesus Christ said, Put some blood and reveal this to you. 
Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the rock means the rock truth. The rock truth. And when he said the gates of hell shall not prevail, it doesn't mean that hell is invading us or we're invading hell. What it simply means, no decision made at the gates of kingdoms of this world shall be enough to intercept or prevent the plan of God. When I say these signs shall follow them that believe, nothing can prevent that. When I say they shall cast out devils, they will cast out devils. When I say they're bitten by a serpent, it shall not hurt them. It happened to Paul. A serpent bit him, and he survived. They thought he was a god. He said, I'm no god. I'm just fulfilling scripture. Which I to Jesus. And so, it looked like a tragedy. Jesus failed us. We thought. I mean, he's a man mighty with God, raised the dead, did all these powerful stuff, and they're talking to each other, right? But Lord, he just died. He killed our hope. We thought he's going to be the Messiah. And here we watched him die like a common thief. Didn't he walk through the walls of a prison? They arrested him, whipped him, beat him, gave him 360 stripes in his back and put five points of sticking nails in him. They pierced his forehead, pierced his hands, pierced his feet, pierced his side. We saw it all. He bled and suffered and cried like any common thief. We were shocked. We never thought anybody but him. Disappointed. Going home, broken hearted. We thought, you know, it's like you have a child that child for being something great, that child ended up in prison. Or ended up on the gallows. And it breaks your heart. Well, Jesus broke their heart. It's three days since he died. And the best they could do for courtesy to Jesus was to mummify him. Like they learned in when you lose somebody and you don't want to give them to corruption, you put spice on them. So they'd rather be content with a dead, spicy Jesus. Hallelujah. Trying to spice him up. Okay, you can't spice up God. God don't need your local spice. He's, he's the creative cinnamon and myrrh. Hallelujah. You can't bless him up. You can't dress him up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, you can't take his life. He lay it down. You can't pull the ghost out of him. He has to give it up. Otherwise, he just won't die. You can't pin him down. He can get off that cross. Amen. And don't tell him, others, you save yourself. You can't save. He can if he wants to. He's got the power to walk off that cross. I'm trying to tell you, it's no tragedy serving Jesus Christ. He has all the power. But you see, you don't understand what God's plan is for us. Eminence, in the mind of the Jews, was the place where those five men rose up and defeated Syria and broke the chain of foreign government for years till John the Baptist came. They know that place in their history today as a place of victory. December 25th, to the Jews, not for Christmas worship. 
It's about celebration of victory at the city of Eminus. The Eminus journey. Now, we try to make Christmas out of that. But for the Jews, that's not what it is. It's where they won the battle against the Syrian Empire. Even just five men said, we won't budge, we won't bend, we will not give in, the victory shall be ours. They said, we'd rather die. The Jews have a teaching today in World War III coming up. They said, look, we'd rather have a, a Samson experience than to be slaves again. Meaning, if we're going to die, we're going to blow the world up with our nuclear weapons. And they're going down with us. Amen. And, and so Eminus is a place of victory. Now, here they're talking together, sad, discouraged, disappointed with Jesus. He died. He's not like we thought he could have. He was mighty in deeds and words, but they killed him. We lost him. And all of a sudden, guess what happened? He showed up. A guy. Out of nowhere, a guy showed up on this eight-mile journey. Because the distance between Jerusalem and Eminence is eight miles. It's a long, long walk. They got no cars like we had. And this guy joined me and said, Hey, guys, what are you talking about? Now, it's not somebody they recognize. They said, Don't you hear? I mean, you heard? He said, Heard what? What are you talking about? He's playing smart on them here. Hey, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. They said, you, they said Are you the only guy in Jerusalem? That don't know what took place three days ago? Where do you come from? Are you new in the town? Are you a new person? Don't you? I mean, you heard? Have you seen? Do you live here? He said, but what are you talking about? He said, well, there's a guy called Jesus of Nazareth. Mighty in deeds and power and works. And we thought, now, folks, now we're, we expect a, what, a lion. We end up with a lamb. Hell, we expect an emperor, a king. We end up with a slave. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We expect almighty, all-powerful, shaking, earth-shaking, earth-moving. But now we end up with a little weak guy. I said, I'm hungry. Baking bread. You, you, you don't know who Jesus Christ? And they told the whole story how Pilate and the rest desecrated and massacred Jesus. So bad that they're, they're embarrassed to even call him the Messiah. But that's not there the Messiah. And Jesus is playing the game, walking with them, and tell them, and they told him all that happened. And then Jesus says, at some point, he says, Oh, ye fools. Now, if I call you fools in church today, you'd be offended. You get very mad at me and say, he called me a fool. But Jesus called him a fool. And so you're slow at heart to believe the prophet. And the scripture. What is wrong with you? What has happened that shouldn't happen? Show me in the context of the scripture where anything transpired that was not forecasted. 
You don't have a right to be disappointed. You don't have a right to feel a tragedy took place. Shatala Mahaya. You just need a revelation. You just need God to give you divine inspiration. That this is not a time for tragedy. It's a time for triumph. It's a time for victory. Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor. Hallelujah. Calvary is not condemnation. It's a place of justification. What you saw was forecasted. Oh, ye fools. Now, church, that's why Jesus chose to go towards Evanus journey. He could have gone on many other journeys. But you remember the war when the Jews thought that God had abandoned them. And they're going to lose the war to the Syrians. But they forgot the prophecy of Daniel. And they were not connecting. Now, as many times saints go through trials and tribulation after the service the next day. And they forgot what was preached. And they acted contrary to what was preached. As if anything is happening, that's strange. When the Bible said, think it not strange, concerning fire and trials, as if something strange just happened around here. It is written in the scripture, all that enter in the kingdom must go to trials and tribulation. Hallelujah. And so why act as if something unusual has happened? And church, he won't want to take you. You've got eight miles to convert your thinking. What we need is a baptized eyes, baptized heart, baptized understanding. It's amazing how people can be in church and never benefit from preaching. Paul talked about people like that. They, they rather say, well, they get into ignorance. Well, pastor, you preach things we don't understand. And they wrote off to understanding and justify their ignorance and love their ignorance. Right? They will find out. Seek, and he shall find. Knock, it shall be open. Call upon him, he shall answer thee. If you don't want to seek, if you don't want to knock, if you don't want it to be open, that's your problem. But honey, it's not here. It's not in heaven that you can't reach it. It's not below the earth that you can't get to it. It's not thee. It's in the eardrums. It's in your mouth. It's in right in your heart. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. He's not a victim. He's a victor over death, hell, and the grave. But they didn't see it that way. I want to point some things out to you. I want to show you that Jesus is so oftentimes misconstrued by people who say they're seeking him. In one place, they thought he was a stranger. One time they said, oh, he's just a gardener. Hallelujah. Next time, it's just a ghost. That's why he asked the question, who, but who do you say that I am? Hallelujah. What do you think about Christ? I was thinking this morning and last night, 
In some circles, Jesus Christ is not welcome. He went to church, and some devil speak for the congregation. I said, leave us alone, Jesus. What are we to do with thee? And try to push him out of the cliff. Amen. But Jesus knew that these women had come to mummify him. And they couldn't find his body. And they thought somebody stole his body. Obviously, they don't believe the scripture. They said, after three days, I rise. Amen. And so they come to mummify Jesus. How many times we want to make Jesus an idol rather than make him a true God? A living God. When are we going to take Jesus Christ off the pages and see him as the rock of ages? When are we going to see Jesus Christ as the living God? Not a God, but the God who is alive and always is, not was. And I shall be, but always is. Jesus Christ at the first from an open tomb. You read your Bible. They ask, who's going to open the door for us? God already considered that, and you can't do it. Amen. What you can't do, God does. But what you can do, he will not do for you. Amen. I teach people this. Where your faith stops, obedience takes over. Hallelujah. And so he opened the tomb. That didn't speak to them in spite of all the soldiers right there. In verse 1 to 3 and verse 12, the tomb was open. You know what God's trying to tell them? There is an open. And they, these, these girls know that. They know the tomb is open. Now they're bothered. The tomb is empty. And we are disturbed that the tomb is empty. It didn't click in their mind. He said, that's exactly how it would be. If you go to Lazarus' tomb, you're going to find fulfilled with anybody is in there. Lazarus' tomb is empty. The only explanation there is is that somebody resurrected him or they stole the body. Guess what? He's at the table breaking bread with Jesus. Number two, he opened their eyes. You will never know Jesus until your eyes is open. Put it on the board for me, please. Verse 16 and 31. Luke 24. Then he opened their eyes. Because their eyes were closed in verse 16. Then their eyes is open in verse 31. You know why I'm living for God? My eyes used to be closed. But somewhere along this journey of life, my eyes got open. Somewhere along the journey in life, the tomb took on significance. Hallelujah. I can't look for Christ in the cemetery. I'll find him in the sanctuary. I can't find him in the obituary. I'll find him in the scripture. My eyes got open. Hallelujah. That there is no other God beside him. But he's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. When God opened your eyes, you're going to think different. The next thing God opened was their heart. Verse 25 and 32. It says, our heart burned. Remember that? Eminence means a city of victory. 
a city of burning. Hallelujah. And God chose those locations symbolically to mean something. If the Hasmoneans, Jews, won the battle, Christ is on the victory march toward Eminus and taking the saints because he planned to go to Eminus and said, look, I won a bigger battle than the Maccabeans won. They lost their battle to Rome afterwards. But I won a battle that the gates of hell shall not prevail. This is the battle of victory. I'm going to tell you that I'm going down to Eminus to declare my victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I want you to know about it. So he opened their heart. If your heart is not open, you will not be healed. You will not be converted. The Bible said their eyes are closed and the heart of they shut down. And God said they will not be converted. And so he said he opened their heart. Look at verse 25. Did not our hearts burn us? It went from being slow of heart to verse 35. It two says our heart burned us. Before, our heart was cold and indifferent. But when Jesus opened their eyes, you know, my eyes affects my heart. If my eyes is not open, my heart is unaffected. Hallelujah. That's why one man says, I made a covenant with my eyes because my eyes affect my heart. Praise God. So he opened the tomb, he opened their eyes, and he opened the heart. What happened to Dorcas in Tyra Tyra? Paul went down there and began to preach, and the Bible said, God opened her heart to receive the scripture. I could preach till I turned blue in the face. And if God opened your eyes and opened your heart and you opened your ears, it's just words. I've been to the Spanish class, and to me it was just words. I didn't understand nothing they said. Because my eyes wasn't open, and my heart wasn't open, my ears wasn't open to the interpretation. Then God opened their understanding. Verse 45. We're on the victory road. I'm on the road of revelation. Eminus is a place where the Hasmoneans won the battle when the odds were against them. And Jesus, this is the first thing he did when he arose from the dead. He went on the Eminus journey. Hallelujah. To commemorate the fact I reign victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And I got the keys to show it. Hallelujah. I can emancipate not only Israel, but the whole world. And the Bible says, he opened their understanding. We said, school, God be in my eyes and in my seeing. Huh? God be in my head and my thinking. God be in my heart and my understanding. Church, if there is no understanding, then there will be no conversion. And so he had to open their eyes. How was he doing it? 
beginning at Moses, at Moses, right to the point of his resurrection, he began another Bible study. Church, get the message here tonight. You and I need God to open our understanding to Scripture. Hallelujah. Now the Bible says, Then open he their understanding. Why? We're not doing what we're doing because we feel like doing it. We're not confessing what we're confessing because we think we're better than you are. We have an understanding. We have a day when God opened our eyes to see like what my neighbors don't see. I'm seeing things they don't see. You know, you take your dog for a walk, and your dog will see a thing long before you see it. Years old. And you're watching him. You wonder what's going on. That's why the RCMP at the airport use their dog. The sense of smell. You can't hide drugs from them. You, you can't hide things. They got an extra sense that we don't have. And, and men depend upon them to reveal things. When God opened your understanding, here's the Ethiopian reading the scripture. He read it coming and read it going back. He passed the water coming and about to pass it going back. What a difference it makes going back home. You came here with your eyes blinded. You came here dull of understanding. You came here when the scripture meant nothing to you. But on your way home, something happened. But you even said to the men of God, see, here is water. Is that the first time you saw it? No, I saw it before. But it meant nothing to me. But now it got significance. My understanding is open. My heart is open to it. Hallelujah. As he opened the book and said, Do you understand what you're reading? No, sir. Except some man teach me. Hallelujah. He said, it wasn't for the piety. It was a guy's idea. See, here is water. He said, friend, he passed it coming. And going back home, the light came on. This wasn't God. Hallelujah. And then when God opened understanding, it make you wise. Because what God did to Solomon, God opened his heart, enlarged it. Hallelujah. Praise God. And put in there an understanding of Scripture in verse 51, I mean verse 32 and 45. I want you to look there. Look at verse 32 first. Our heart burn us while he read to us the scripture. He opened up the scripture. This guy that been in this Mormon faith for how many years? We try to talk to him about all that we can. And obviously when over his head. He asked me a question. I said, I'll tell you later on. I was so busy. After service, he said. It's clear. I said, what's clear? The Godhead. <laughs> I said, sir, why? He said, before, it was all intellectual. 
But now it's effectual. I said, sir, every Christian have a time in their journey when they can point to the place and the time and the hour and the moment when the light came on. The people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Satan could no longer blot out that light, but the light that shined in the hearts of men have shined in the heart of that Ethiopian, shone in my heart, and I understand the scripture. A lot of people search the scripture, but not many understand it. He says, You do err, not knowing the scripture. But say, You search the scripture. For to them you think you have eternal life. So they testify of me. Now he's trying to convince these two people on the victory highway don't see it as a victim highway. Don't see this travel as a tragedy. You're on the triumphal run. Shakamahaya. A greater than the Maccabeans are here. A greater than Judas is here. You are being revealed. God, who command the light to shine on the darkness of sun in our heart to give us the knowledge in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching right now that the tomb might be open to somebody and you don't just look to the womb but look to an empty tomb. There's more revelation in the empty tomb than the empty womb. God Opening your eyes when God touched that man with his healing power through Jesus Christ. He said, what do you see? I see a tree walking like man. Obviously, you need another touch. Hallelujah. And Jesus took him out of his familiar environment and took him outside the walls. Hallelujah. And touched him one more time. I said, what do you see? I see clearly. Let's worship God. This church, this church don't see tragedy. We see triumph. We see triumph in the tomb. We see triumph on this eminence journey. We may be outnumbered, outspent, but will not be outwent. We are going to win. I said we are bound to win. He opened the scripture in verse 45. Go there, please. What does verse 45 says? Then open either understanding that they may understand the Scripture. Scripture means the script. I come here teaching stuff. I teach standards. I teach holiness. And people from different churches, like the other first one, looked at me and think I'm strange. One guy told me last night, across the country, across the world, so you were somewhere, and you prophesied something, and they think this is what it meant, and da-da-da-da-da. It caused quite a stir. I said, I don't know what I said. Nothing about you guys. Absolutely nothing. He said, I know I told him, but you don't know anything. 
holy men spake as were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. I have learned by experience, never shut out information. I want to be a Bereans. I want to search the scripture. I'm not going to dismiss it. Because you're the only one that says it. That don't make me wrong. Nor does it make me right. But if you've got any integrity at all, and if you're noble, you'll search the scripture. And don't tell me what Jack and Jill said. Because some said he's Elias. Some said he's Jeremiah. Some say he's John the Baptist. But what do you say? What do you get from your search? What do you get from your revelation? What do you get from divine inspiration? I want to know, did you search to find the answer? the church, I told the folks around in the conference, man of God in my life, preached things I didn't understand, didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. But I was smart enough not to resist it. So I come not to, You know what? God, my understanding of the word, the scripture. Hallelujah. Verse 27, 28 says, they're fools of heart. But verse 45, he opened the scripture. I'll never forget, I went to university college and I searched manuscript. I hear about the oneness of God. And I know this church was the smallest among the denominators where I was. And I'm not stupid. I want to huck and me think he's the only one that's right. And the rest are wrong. What makes you think he's got the edge on this thing? So I said, I'm going to find out. I'm not going to ask him. If I know the answer he's going to give me, I'm going to go dig. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I went to colleges and checked out man, manuscripts and such like. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I came back with an understanding. I saw even more than he showed me. I wrote a book on it. <laughs> My first book. On the Godhead. I showed him the book I wrote. Well, that thing of looking up scripture and text, manuscript, version and perversion of the Bible. Found out where it all came from, where the truth is. And I'm excited. Look, what do you mean? Oh, Jesus Christ is God. Knowing that the Lord, He is God. Just coming on for me. He already established in this present truth. Hallelujah. 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 He opened their heart to understand the scripture. Hear now. And that repentance. Listen now. I read books that condemn Acts 2.38 of the devil. I've heard people dismiss it in our faith, outside of our faith. I heard it minimize it. But there's one thing there, a problem with me. I did search the scripture. I'm not going by heresy or some tradition handed down to me by the commandments of men not found in the scripture. 
if it's not in the script, you practice in vain. And you may find that you serve God for naught. God is still saying, come out, my people. So I said, well, I don't serve God because I'm not out of fear. You're lying. Noah moveth. Didn't say faith. Noah moveth what? Read the Bible. Noah heard from God and moveth what? What? Not faith. Fear. He called them fools. And he gave them the law, the prophets, and the psalms. And when you come to me and I show you the law, the prophet and the psalms, I don't expect you to agree with me if your eyes are blinded. There is no way you're going to agree with me. The only way you're going to agree with me is when you compare spiritual things with spiritual things. It's when you compare line upon line. I didn't say tradition versus scripture. You compare text with text. Not out of context or pretext. But you're in the Bible. I follow nobody blindly. God, take the blinkers off my eyes. I'm on an eminence journey. It's a journey of revelation. Revelation means God revealed what was concealed. What was contained is now being explained. What was a mystery is now unveiled. He said that repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in his name. Listen, folks, there's no such thing as eternal son. Not in your Bible. I've never seen your Bible. There are my sons. This day have I begotten thee. So who was in the Old Testament? Jesus Christ says the law and the prophets and the psalms is about me. If you know anything about your Bible, honey, Moses, if it begins from Moses, he wrote what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He sure didn't write Joshua because he wasn't around to do it. Hallelujah. And from Moses, the prophets, and the law, he said, it's about me. In other words, people, I did not let you down. I am the lamb. I told Moses, God will provide himself the sacrifice. That's what I am. I am the Lamb of God. Not going to blow you away now, folks. I checked it out. It's true. No, I didn't know this in the beginning, but I found it's true. I checked it out when I heard it. I didn't know, Sister Kim, that the only antidote for snake bite is the blood of a lamb. 
I challenge you tonight. Look at that. A snake cannot kill a lamb with a bite. And the more he bites the lamb, the stronger the antidote becomes. I did not let you down when I bled from the bite of the serpent. The serpent bit me when I'm not dead. I'm alive because in nature, the serpent cannot kill it with a bite. But I can bruise it with my feet. Look it up and be shook up by the fact scientists use the blood of a lamb. Neutralize the bite of the serpent. That's why Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And Satan is called the old dragon, the old serpent. I did not let you down. I had to die and rise again and be your champion over death. Hell and the grave. I'm not just a gardener like Adam. I'm no longer your stranger. I am your God. Come on, somebody. But he had to do it. And the Bible says he acted like he would continue to keep on walking. And Jesus Christ is a gentleman. He never opened doors uninvited. You got to bring him in and make him straight. No buzz a Christian by force. You just don't join church. You're born in church. You're born again. Hallelujah. They tried to make a mummy out of Jesus. He said, I ain't no mummy. You will not spice me up. Oh, no. I'm not what they do in Egypt. I don't need your spice. Praise God. And then the scripture says, this is beautiful. When the girls came, and they missed it all, sister. They missed it all. They came and they looked at the place where he laid the empty tomb. And those who were brave went in there and looked. And the Bible said they saw an angel at the head and at the feet. empty. And the only time in the scripture you see that, script, uh, that, that picture is right here. Where is it? If I can find it on here. Have the Ark of the Covenant right here. See right here? At the head and the feet. No one, the one that you're looking at, he's the word became flesh. And the only way you can see the word, you have to lift off the mercy seat. And the mercy seat means is a law that's higher than the Ten Commandments. I did not let you down. This is not a tragedy. It's a triumph. My death is a triumph. I triumph over death, hell, and the grave. Can someone say hallelujah? Come on. The evidence journey 
is a journey where the longing is fulfilled, where victory has been wrought, and the city of burning is no longer a burning city except burn with revival. Let's all stand. People get revelation differently. For some to get the revelation of Jesus Christ, it has to be during the time when he breaks the bread. Some of you are going to have it when he, when the bread is being broken. We all got revelation differently. For some of you like Thomas, you just won't believe until you feel something. <laughs> when you feel something, but you can't deny what you're feeling. He said, Thomas, give in to your feelings. What do you feel, Thomas? Be not faithless now. You're feeling it. Just belief alone just won't do it. And so you're going to believe just based on what you've heard. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So you need a scar to see it. We bow your hands right now. There is no disappointment this morning. And they constrain him, and he disappeared in their sight. And the last thing they saw was an open heaven. Open the everlasting heaven. That the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. This morning in this church is an open tomb, an open eyes, open heart, open understanding, open scripture, open heaven. Lord, ladies, I did not fail. I just fulfilled the law. He says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning of Jerusalem. He said, in other words, if I didn't accomplish this, there could be no preaching of repentance and remission of sin. Without the shedding of his blood. Church, if you ever know what I preached this morning, Acts 2.38, there is absolutely no other way to heaven. Acts 2.38 is exactly what he said. In Luke 24, 44 to 48, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. If you're in this church, you're blessed. If you want to change church, I feel sorry you want to, but you may go ahead and do it if you wish. But our friend, we're going to make it. This boat is going to make it. And we believe that God gives us the open heart surgery. A new heart and a new spirit will I give you. Amen? And God says he opened the understanding. But Paul says in Acts, in closing in Acts, Paul says, and they closed their eyes. They closed their eyes. And they closed their hearts. Call upon Jesus right now, church. Go wait on me. Call upon Jesus. But they closed their eyes. And they closed their hearts. There's no other way to be saved. You're on an eminence journey. And you need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. Praise God. For the heart, he said, go to this people and say, hearing you shall hear and not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. 
for the heart of this people's wax grows. And their ears that they love hearing, and their eyes that they close. Let's just see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you the salvation is sent of God to the Gentiles, and they will hear. Who's God talking to this morning? I am not impressed by tradition. I don't care who have it. I don't care if my mother has it or my daddy has it. I don't care who has it. I want the scripture. I'm inviting you this morning to an eminence journey. It's not one of tragedy. It's one of triumph. I want to lead you to the conclusion and that repentance and remission of sin. So we preach in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. That's what Acts 2.30 is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, follow the rest of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you ever knew what I preached to you this morning, and then he was taken up into heaven, and they went everywhere, and God confirmed him the word. Who's God talking this morning? Who's God talking? Who's on this eminence journey this morning? Who is on this journey? That song we're going to sing, don't mind. Walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. Oh, walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. All along life's pilgrim journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. Come on. 